All right, Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Great to be here. All right, so Todd, today I kind of wanted to start with the disengagement reports that came out of California. Uh, you know, we saw that Waymo led the industry uh, with over 11,000 miles between disengagements in 2018, which is pretty remarkable considering that number was only, I mean, under 6,000 last year. What did you think of that? No, I was stunned. And they actually put together a report themselves. They call it an update that they published on Medium that we'll put in the show notes. But it really did a terrific job of framing the improvement, how they have a 50% reduction in the rate while also having a 96% increase in the average miles traveled between disengagements from 2017. And I think the way they phrase that really helps us understand what a dramatic increase that is. Yeah, and I think this really shows that these neural networks are getting better and improving. And that's not something that surprises us, but something that's still good to see in kind of quantifiable data. Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's that continual improvement that you and I have talked about and that we're seeing generally. And I think that applies across the different industry players. And it's interesting because as we've talked about several times this year, we've got what people have called the trough of disillusionment, and yet it's belied by the facts. These companies are getting better and better and better, just as we would hope. And so now let's shift to GM's crews. And they had said that they'd driven, they've driven over uh, 400, almost 450,000 miles in California autonomously in 2018 with a disengagement uh, every, you know, over 5,000 miles on average. And that's an improvement even more so than Waymo. I mean, that, that's almost a, you know, quadrupling of the rate from last year. So GM's actually made more progress in, in a calendar year, even though still they lag behind Waymo as far as disengagement rates per miles traveled. Yeah, but again, I, I, I guess I'm a glasses half full sort of person. And so what I see is that extraordinary improvement, plus the fact that they are really continuing to put a lot of miles on their cars, which is key to this, is just getting that experience. And as we know, Cruise, they're driving in downtown San Francisco. So a lot of the chatter in the industry from really, I'll call them negative Nellies, is, well, you can't really tell anything from these disengagement reports because, and then they hypothesize, well, it could be that you're talking about freeway miles, and that's just not what's happening. You've got Waymo that's testing around Mountain Valley. You've got Cruise that's testing in downtown San Francisco and around the Bay Area. So they really are accruing these miles in very challenging environments. And ultimately, that's, that's for their own benefit to some extent, too, because these companies, they want to be testing environments where they can make profits. And where can you make profits? In cities where you're able to kind of replace the uh, typical ride-hailing services and things like that. So doing the testing in areas that are going to be profitable sooner actually benefits them. But to your point, there are people that sit there and pick apart the numbers and say, what you know, can you gain these, can you change these, things like that. And I think you're right that these companies are working to kind of not only develop this technology to be able to operate in cities, but also because the sooner it does that, uh, the sooner they can make a profit from it. And I think there's a lot of incentives there for them to continue to test in areas that aren't as easy as rural or suburban Arizona, but instead that are dense 
highly populated areas like San Francisco, like Mountain View, Silicon Valley, things like that. Yeah, and the way you frame this actually brings to mind a, a fascinating article that I just saw um, by a writer, um, Timothy Lee, who writes for Ars Teca, and he was really putting forth the theory that Waymo has approached its deployment all wrong, that they ought to follow the Voyage model. If you recall, Voyage is deploying in retirement communities in Florida, and their top speed is around 25 miles an hour, as opposed to the way Waymo's deployed in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area on their ride hailing, and then also, as we've discussed, throughout Mountain View. And what I really wanted to highlight out of that article is the way he analogizes it to Xerox from the 1970s and how this was a catastrophic failure for Xerox. And he put forth the, frankly, quite surprising proposition that Waymo may be headed down that path. So, you know, again, I thought that was thought provoking. I haven't organized my response to it fully, but I did want to highlight that because it's fascinating and deserves study. So we'll tweet it out, but also it'll be in the show notes. And right, and to that point, uh, with Voyage kind of going through retirement communities and establishing exclusive contracts for years in advance, it's also interesting that Voyage is also taking the tact of, we want to start making profit and have financial incentive now, as opposed to later. So what part of our technology is operational and deployable right now? And how can we leverage that to not only protect us against future uh, impediments like other companies trying to get into this space, but also to start making money so that our investors continue to fund us? And while I don't believe that Voyage's contract is a boon by any means, I don't think it's something that uh, they'd be happy with having as their sole source of income. I do think it's something that's telling that they're making money now, whereas Waymo's waiting till later. And whenever you've got Alphabet backing you, you can afford to wait till later before you need to cash in. But what Voyage is doing is showing that their model, their technology can be profitable right now. And that's something we haven't seen from Waymo. Uh, and something we haven't actually seen from GM Cruise either. Right. All right. It's, I mean, again, as a student of business history and also business theory, it's fascinating to me because the minute I read the finished reading Mr. Lee's report, I thought immediately of Clayton Christian's The Innovator's Dilemma. And again, I haven't fully organized my thoughts on this, but it is interesting to ask, are autonomous vehicle deployments more similar to the technological revolution we saw with personal computers where Microsoft and Apple were able to follow what we'll loosely call the Voyage approach? Is that what Voyage is doing? And if so, how interesting. And it's just, it's another way to frame this discussion so we can try to get our arms around it and see who's going to, to win here. But ultimately, as we've discussed before, I don't think it's about winners and losers because there's plenty of room here for everyone to succeed. It's going to be who gets there first and then who's a fast follower. Yeah, can you cover what the Innovator's Dilemma is for our audience? Because I think that's a really interesting parallel that you're drawing there. 
Well, and it's I don't want to do an injustice to a fairly thoughtful. Sure, tone, we won't hold but you to Really, it, what it amounts to is that you've got people who come in at the low end of the industry, the less expensive products, and eat from the bottom up, so to speak. So it was Toyota coming into the U.S. market, and where you had the Detroit automakers saying, well, we didn't even want to do that at all. Why would we compete? And picking up those scraps and getting more and more healthy because they're eating quite well at the bottom end. They're not trying to build the most expensive, the Cadillac. Well, literally, they're not trying to build yeah, the Cadillac. Right. Instead, they come in with the Tercel. So, you know, and it is interesting, as I say, I do not mean to disparage the article in Ars Teca because it's fascinating to think about. Is that what's happening? That certainly is what Microsoft and Apple did relative to Xerox, where Xerox put out a $16,000 personal computer, which, you know, in 1980 money was even more. I haven't done the conversion, but that's a quite expensive personal computer as opposed to, I remember my first Mac was, um, Mac Classic is what it ended up being called, but I forget what they called it at the time from the early 80s. I think I spent 2,400 bucks then. So, you know, again, that's the innovator's dilemma as I understand it is how do you compete with that? If you're used to, as Google is and through Waymo is having the full market, are they embarrassed, I think is the way Mr. Lee put it, to compete at the bottom, would they be embarrassed to deploy at 25 miles an hour? Would that be a signal that they weren't technologically proficient enough to achieve the full level for autonomy that they envision themselves? So thought-provoking thesis, I haven't fully figured out whether I agree with it, but it almost doesn't matter because it helps us understand what's going on, I think, in a very rich way. Yeah, and it drives the conversation forward. And that's that's what the best thought pieces in, in this field are doing right now, is just continue to forward that conversation and get us thinking about the different models of business that are at play here, the different companies that are investing in those models, and you know what's going to lead to the best outcome, not just for these companies and profitability, but for us as consumers. Uh, and you mentioned them, so let's talk a little bit about them because they appeared on this disengagement report. Uh, Apple logged almost 80,000 miles, but they had disengagements on an average of barely over one mile. What do you think this means about Apple's uh, investment into the space and how that's going? Yeah, no, a couple different points on Apple because it is, I think, the most interesting report that was filed, not just because it's their first. They had the third highest number of miles logged that they reported, but what was really striking was that there were two periods. It was a tale of two periods. You had Apple reporting literally every disengagement it had up through June 2018, and then beginning July 1, 2018, through the end of the reporting period, which I believe was November 30, they started to follow the industry reporting standard where they reported only sort of significant disengagements. And so if you look at their numbers, if you start to pull them apart, it is telling that most of their bad number comes from that early period where they were reporting. And when I say 
reporting every disengagement. That includes a planned disengagement where the safety driver took over as part of the plan. So that skewed their number. And in fact, they were very competitive with what um, GM Cruise was able to do in the balance of the year, that is July 1 forward. So that's the, what I would focus on is one, the level of transparency we got from Apple by the way they filed that, but then two, to look at, they had 80,000 miles, that's terrific, third most miles reported, that was above Aurora, it was above Zooks, above Baidu, um, so I think that's a very positive number, but then as you go in, as we just did, and drill into that number, you see they're, they're really winning, which is extraordinary when you remember that they laid off, what, about 200 engineers earlier just this last year? Month. So yeah. I don't know no, exactly what they're doing, but it's fascinating. Project Titan lives and maybe it thrives. So that's great news and, for the consumer. And that's exactly what I wanted to get into. We haven't really touched on Apple as a player in this space yet. Uh, and I want to kind of cover some of the, you know, just a little quick history lesson on what Apple's doing in the AV space. They started Project Titan in 2014 and they grabbed a thousand of their employees from different uh, you know, sectors and different fields, pull them all together to start building just an electric vehicle, not necessarily an autonomous system or an autonomous vehicle, but an electric vehicle. And eventually there was some internal discord and differing opinions as to how about building this or if it should be autonomous, things like that. And so Project Titan kind of takes a breather in 2016. Well then Tim Cook in 2017 is interviewed and confirms that Apple is working on an autonomous vehicle system. In August 2018, they hired Doug Field from Tesla. And now the interesting thing is the reports and the rumors seem to speculate that Apple is actually working on an autonomous vehicle software instead of an autonomous vehicle itself. And the reason I think that's interesting is because Apple historically has been focused on end-to-end -end control of the user experience. We've seen this with Macs and we've seen this with iPhones, iPads, you name it. And typically, Apple isn't comfortable with licensing out their software and saying, here you go, computer manufacturer, here's Mac OS, feel free to install it on your computers. Or here you go, smartphone manufacturer, here's iOS, take it, put it on whatever you want. They've always wanted to control the end-to-end -end experience, which has allowed them to create kind of a premium brand and a niche that says, not only do I have an iPhone, but my iPhone's the only way you can get iOS. So I don't have to worry about you getting the cheaper version of this or whatever. Because I know that if you want iOS, you have to come to Apple. And that's allowed them to create extraordinary brand recognition, extraordinary following, almost cult-like following, and things that we typically haven't seen that, such as you know, just consumer products. And it's interesting to me that in such a big space, they would decide we don't need to control that. Whereas I would you know, surmise to people that the experience of driving a car and operating a car is the ultimate end-to-end -end experience for the user because not only does that matter, how do I get into my car? What does my car look like? What does driving my car feel like? What does the software controlling my car operate like? There's so many more components than just using a smartphone, and it's interesting to see Apple back away from their historically, I mean, it's been decades now that we've seen that Apple is entrenched in the end-to-end -end experience being totally under their control, and they're backing away from that. And this may just be previously we were under the Steve Jobs regime and now we're under the Tim Cook regime. But I do think it's worth noting that 
if Apple pivots just developing the software system or even just the technology that controls these cars instead of the car itself, it'll be a massive pivot for one of the world's biggest companies. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Let me offer a little bit different perspective. And it's not unique to me. In fact, it sort of parallels what uh, the Ars Teca article laid out. But if you look at Apple historically, they've never been the first with any technology. So it goes back to the mouse. They got that from Xerox. I mean, that's really the irony here. Even the smartphone, they weren't the first smartphone. They were just the best once they decided to get into it. That's a little bit different because it really was a different beast, but they by no means were the leader in smartphones. Their iPods had a lot of competition throughout their history. You look at their different deployments here, the earphones that we've seen, smartwatch, maybe that's a little bit unique, but maybe the lesson from the smartwatch, the Apple Watch, is there isn't a lot of money to be made from being first. There's a lot more money from being the best from a customer perspective. And maybe that's really what's going on here is they, Tim Cook and his team stepped back. They said, what can we be really good at? And that's what we want to do. And this may be their admission that, yes, they may eventually want to have, you know, Project Titan. They may want to have their own AV car, but darn, that's hard. Why are we worrying about that when we can be in every car if we come up with the killer software? No, I think that's actually a really great point because that's true. Apple historically has been one of the companies that takes their time getting to market but then comes to market with a premium experience or a better product. Your point with the iPhone is really well made in that there are already touchscreen phones before the iPhone. There are already phones that offered the opportunity for people to surf the internet or to play music. But when the iPhone came along, it, it totally changed the game. And now we're over a decade later and it's still probably one of the most important consumer products available on the market. And that's probably right. I mean, that's probably right that I'm sure Apple's taking a long view of this and saying, let's let all the other companies kind of get out there and maybe make some mistakes, maybe have some PR pitfalls, and we'll just kind of wait in the wings with a better product. And oh, by the way, we can because we're Apple. We've got huge reserves of cash on hand, and we've got a brand recognition opportunity that allows us to come to the market later and still get that groundswell of support from customers we've been serving for you know, decades. So I think that's right. I think that's probably a really good way of looking at it. But it'll be interesting to see how Apple progresses along this path. And if at some point they do decide, hey, we have the system, why don't we just start building the car too? Because if I had to guess between the two, I think the system and the software is probably the more complex component than the car itself. No, I think that's right. And ultimately, and again, this is the innovator's dilemma, why compete in an area that's low margin if you can go for the high margin, which is what the software is going to be. If you can solve it, that's where you make your money and let Detroit, you know, you know really name your manufacturers around the globe, go to Korea and manufacture your car. You can get a terrific vehicle and just put your software in it. Why not? Absolutely. And so Todd, before we get out of here, I, I know there are a couple of transactions you wanted to hit on. Yeah, no, there are two that I think really merit discussion. The first is Neuro that raised almost a billion dollars from SoftBank Vision Fund, which you'll recall we talked about. Neuro's in 
very interesting company because they do robot delivery vans. And if that name resonates with you, it's because they've signed a contract to partner with Kroger to use those vehicles. So they've already got some commercial ties going and they're gonna use this money to go attack that market. They There are eight different companies that I've been able to track down in the United States that's pursuing this robot delivery van concept in some form, and they're by far the best capitalized. So they're going to be a formidable uh, player in this market. And they're based out of Mountain View and really are doing a great job. They've got money from China. They've got Greylock Partners in their capital structure. So they've got a premium backing from the venture capital market and around 300 employees. So they've got quite a footprint. We saw last week a company that raised to go from 30 employees and double that to 60 employees. So we're really looking at a different scale in terms of the amount of employees, the amount of talent they've got really going after this space. And then the second one, and really the most interesting news of the week is a company called Too Simple that raised $95 million, but it's not that $95 million that's really interesting. It's That makes it a unicorn. Its pre-money valuation is over a billion dollars. And then the second part of that is that fundraising came principally from China. There's a Chinese organization Sina Corp that put that money in there. So even though they're based in Tucson, Arizona, they've got that global footprint of funding. And it's going to be interesting to watch because they are one of the leaders in the self-driving truck industry. I've listened to a couple different mm -hmm. interviews with their CEO and their public relations person. Very thoughtful approach the way they're going after this. And I think what they've seen is that this is going to be an easier place to crack than going after autonomous vehicles for passengers. So fascinating to watch. They've got a lot of valuation there. They're making three to five autonomous trips a day for customers in three different routes in Arizona. And what they're planning to do is to slowly expand that to to move forward. So really taking that Voyager approach and expanding slowly their their work yeah and one of the things i want to hit on before we get out of here is it is interesting to see investments like softbank the vision fund going in with multiple different companies in this space clearly identifying that this space is going to be a huge money maker for them down the road but not quite being able to identify which company is going to be the money maker in their portfolio and i think it's really telling that not only are they investing in multiple com companies but also multiple companies that are in different parts of this space, right? So to your point with Neuro, they're working with Kroger and grocery delivery, things like that. Well, that's not really a competitor to GM Cruise, who they're also invested in, who's looking towards ride hailing, those kind of services. So I just think it's worth noting that there's a lot of money coming into this space, but some of the money is almost double dipping from an investor, or in this case, a uh, venture capitalist fund. And so seeing that money kind of trickle in in different parts, it's just worth noting that I think it's universally agreed at this point that there is a ton of money to be made in this space, but it's not universally agreed as to how the money is going to be made. Yeah, no, that's right. Follow the money, my continu continuous theme. And 
there's a lot of money out there and where you get it is hard to predict. So spread your bets, I think is the way you've got SoftBank's vision fund pursuing this and they've got enough money. They can do that. Absolutely. Well, Todd, thanks so much for joining and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Pleasure, Zach. Thanks again. That'll do it for today's episode of Driverless. As always, you can reach out to us on Twitter at, at underscore driverless or email us at driverless at tuckerellis.com. Thanks as always for listening and talk to you soon.